have been smitten. He throws that thing down, it turns into a snake here in a minute. I'm going to let him pick it back up. Amen. What a joy to be with you. I am delighted to get to spend time with your wonderful pastor and his lovely bride. My son and I have had a great time. They were telling me this morning that uh, he had something on the screen up there about my being here. He really was joking, but he said something about where am I? So they put that thing up there. There it is. Jeremy's father. See, I have no identity outside of myself. This morning, the thing said something about Jeremy's here too. He's Scott's son. Tonight, it's reversed. I'm just Jeremy's father. You lose your identity, you know, when you, when you become a dad. And gratefully so. Wonderful to share the presence of the Lord with you here tonight. I want to direct your attention to 2 Kings chapter number 4. You can't talk, you just better never talk bad about anybody or any place in Pentecost because you're probably looking at their cousin. I didn't dream there was one chance in 742 that anybody in this place would know where Grayville, Illinois was. I talked about my hometown this morning. And this lady that's standing now right behind where my son is sitting there grew up five miles from there in a little place called Griffin, Indiana. That's not bad enough. She used to go to church with the family. My sister used to date their boy. She knows my sister. That's scary. Not that she knows my sister. Well, that could be scary. I know my sister too. But uh, just the whole concept, I didn't dream, you know. Never know. But it's good to be part of the body of Christ. Amen. I'm not numbered among those who have religion and rigor mortis confused. I don't, I, I'm just, don't, don't count me among those folks. I enjoy, I, I'm just sure, I'm sure. I saw in there, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. I'm just, I don't, I know I read in there about the joy of the Lord is your strength. I just, I do not understand people look like they were baptized in vinegar or something like that. I just don't get that. You know, and then wonder why folks don't want it. I was excited as listening to a stump grow and you want to know, I don't know, I just don't understand that. Amen. But some of you do, so maybe you'll explain that to me and I hope you don't because I'd like to get out of town still being excited about living for God. Amen. I want to read to you tonight from 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse number 8. What is admittedly a familiar passage, I'm sure, to most of you. And, and just, I, I find it so interesting the way your pastor kind of set the tone here with his comments because it is exactly the, the direction I felt the Holy Ghost to share with you tonight. From 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse number 8, where the word of the Lord says, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. She said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God which passeth by us continually. Somebody told me one time she knew he was a preacher because he stopped and ate. That's all the Bible says, turn in to eat bread. And she said, I perceive he's a man of God. Well, praise the Lord. She then said, Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. And let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us 
that he shall turn in thither. Now the Bible tells me in verse 8 it talks about him turning in thither. In verse 10 it talks about him turning in thither. But this lady had a, a distinction between those two. In verse 8 she talks about as he passes by. In verse 10 she talks about when he comes to us. And I want to talk to you a little bit about building a chamber on your wall. Building a chamber on the wall of your life. I, you know what? Why don't you put your Bibles down? I know we sung a little bit. I want to try to sing, and I'm going to go way back in the archives. Uh, key of C, how about that? This just kind of expresses where I am tonight. I wonder if you'd pray this prayer and song with me. It says, more of you. I want more of you. I've had all but what I need. It's just more of Of things I've had my fill, and yet I hunger still, empty and bare. Lord, hear my prayer for more of You. Would you just pray that prayer with me? son and I. I do believe that in terms of living for God, desire is a very, very powerful dynamic in our relationship with Him. I have many times listened to the tape and amen, Brother Hoggs, about you've got to have the want to, to live for God. I believe that. It is a prerequisite to many things. The Bible tells me in Proverbs 18 and 1, through desire, a man having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 tells me that as newborn babes, we are called to desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. That, that, that desire pounding in our heart to know him will drive us to some places. 
Luke 22, 15 explains to me that the Lord even has desire toward us. He told his disciples, with desire, I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He longed for communion with that group of men. I would present to you tonight that it was his desire for a church that held him on that cross on Calvary a long time ago. No nails held him there. The Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him, not the joy set before us. We get misfocused. We start talking about how he did it all for me on Calvary. I'm sorry to bust your bubble. He didn't do it all for me on Calvary. He did it that he might present the church unto himself. He did it for the glory of his own name. He did it for the joy that was set before him. He did it because he knew it would bring pleasure to him to have a group of redeemed people who by choice on a Sunday night would desire to spend time with him. And I have preached about desire and I have talked about desire and how important it is. But of late I have come to recognize that desire alone is very insufficient. Desire will not satisfy your hunger. Desire might start you down the road toward a restaurant. But desire won't fill your belly. Desire only when it meets action do results come. Only when what I want to be in Christ begins to live out in what I do day to day. And do I progress in this quest called Christianity. See, I've seen a lot of people come down to an altar and cry a puddle full of tears on the carpet about, I want to be a soul winner. I want to be a soul winner. I want to be a soul winner. But then walk out the door and never teach a Bible study. It's good desire, but it's not lived out in the way we exist from day to day. I want a prayer life. Never pray. I want to know more about the book. Never crack it open. I'm just telling you tonight, desire is a good thing. But only in as much as we live it out in our day-to-day existence. I know my audience tonight. And I know that your being here on a Sunday evening testifies to your allegiance to Christ. And it testifies... To who I'm speaking to. And you are numbered among those who want a closer walk with Jesus Christ. If I were to ask tonight how many of you want to be closer to Jesus. Most everybody would raise their hand. Except those of you that aren't going to raise your hand no matter what I ask. And I understand that. But everybody would say oh yes I want to know him. Yes I want to be closer to him. Yes I want to know him better. And yet my question to you tonight is what are you doing about that desire? This is not the spiritual lottery. You don't get a ticket when you come in the door and hope that miraculously someday God will pull your number out of the hat and instantly transform you into a spiritual giant just because you hung around the church long enough. There is no luck involved in this thing. There's no happenstance involved in this thing. You show me somebody with a prayer life, I'll show you somebody that put their knees on the floor and learned how to pray. You show me somebody winning souls, and I'll show you somebody that got their Bible study chart out, and they taught, and they practiced. Hey, come on, somebody. I'm just telling you what you want to be in God. You can be that in God. But it's not going to happen easy. It's going to be work. I'm not going to just pat you on the head and entertain you tonight. It'll be different than this morning. But I, there's something beating in my heart. You listen to me this evening. I desire communion with Jesus Christ. I want to experience Jesus Christ on a day-by-day basis. I want to live a life that's wrapped up in Jesus Christ. I want my life to be Jesus when I wake up and Jesus when I go to bed. I want it to be Jesus on my job. I want it to be Jesus with my family. 
I wanted to be Jesus in my leisure time. I wanted to be Jesus at the grocery store, at the gas station, at the dry cleaners. I want my life to be wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And you say, that's great, that's tremendous, that's wonderful. I tell you, it's a good ambition, it's a good desire, but it's incomplete and it's insufficient if I don't start taking some steps to make the desire that I have become a reality on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. If this preacher's desire is going to become a reality, I'm going to have to build him a chamber on the wall of my life. See, I read tonight about this man named Elisha, and it's intriguing to me. It has great significance because his name means God is my salvation. The Bible tells me that God is my salvation came walking through Shunem one day. And the Bible tells me there was a lady there who was a great woman. She was socially significant. When she walked down the sidewalks in her community people stopped and took note of her. When she strolled through the marketplace everyone knew who she was. She was a woman of some financial means. She drove a very fine chariot. Everybody knew her. She wore the finest of clothes. Every civic committee that was formed, if they had to beautify the Shunem Park project, she was going to be on that committee. She was probably a card carrying member of the PT and Shunem and everything else she was an important lady in that community but I read one day where God is my salvation came passing by her house and when he got by there she did not sit inside her house fold her arms and say if he understood who I was if he understood how important I am if he understood how long I have lived here if he knew how much I've done for my community Elisha would get his hide inside this house and he'd spend a little time with me no when she heard that God was coming by and I know it was a man but please allow me the latitude with his name when she heard that God is my salvation was walking by her house she said I don't care what my neighbors think I don't care what anybody thinks she ran out in the street got him by the feet and said if you're going to stop in anybody's house in this community you're going to come into my house she constrained him to come in to her house what am I saying? I'm saying this. I'm standing in a great church tonight. I know. I'm standing in front of great Christians. I know. But somewhere we've got to get desperate and say every time we come in this place and God starts by, I'm going to get desperate. I'm going to swallow my pride. I'm going to get a hold of Jesus. I'm going to bust I'm going to bust your bubble tonight. God doesn't owe this church a visit on Sunday evening at 6 o'clock. God doesn't have to come in here on Sunday morning. We're not so great that God feels constrained to be here unless somebody throws themselves down at His feet and says, I don't care who sees me. I don't care what they think. I'll swallow my pride. I want a visitation from God. I've decided if he's going to bless anybody in my church, he's going to bless my family. If he's going to spend time in anybody's home, he's going to spend time in my home. I don't care who thinks what. I feel like I've run into a stump here this evening. I just really, you know what, folks? I mean, look, look up here at me. I, I'll be as sweet as I can be, best I can. It's tough sometimes. Your pastor was so kind this morning, talked about this position I serve in. And yes, I've been 
asked by the men of this fellowship, and I'm very honored to be the youth president, and, and yes, that affords me a seat on the general board, a whole bunch of stuff like that that you don't understand or really care about. But listen to me. Above, above all that, I got a wife and a couple of babies I'm trying to take to heaven with me. My boy's sitting back there. He'll, test, he, he, he'll testify to it. He knows it's right. When church gets done in our church, I go to the altar. When my pastor gets done preaching, I get my hide in the altar and I spend time seeking God. You know why? Because it's not about titles in this world. It's not about who's greater, who's not greater, any of that mess. I want to oh get a hold of God. When I feel His footsteps coming by my life, I'm going to run out of and get him by the feet and say you're not going to bless anybody else you're not going to go see anybody else I want you in my house so the Bible tells me that she jumped at the chance to have him come in and spend time with her the Bible tells me it became practice that as often as he passed by he would drop in he'd show up at her door and knock and she'd throw wide the door and welcome in God is my salvation and they'd split a two liter of Dr. Pepper and a bag of Doritos and pretzels, Pastor. You know. they'd, they'd have a great time of fellowship together. I'm convinced every time he came by, it was special to her. I'm sure that when God is my salvation would stop and they would fellowship and he'd lay his hand on her head and bless her that, that, that when, he, when she enjoyed it every time. I don't think she got tired of Sunday nights. See, I love it every time God is my salvation comes by and drops in. I love it every time he shows up and blesses me and touches me and smiles on me. But for every bit she enjoyed when he walked in, something began to eat in her spirit. Because every time when the service was over, every time the visit was done, she not only did she enjoy his arrival, she had to endure his departure. Because every time when it was over, when the Dorito bag was empty and the last Dr. Pepper had been poured over the ice cubes, Elisha would look around and say, I've enjoyed coming, but I see there's really no place prepared for me to abide. And so I will make my way on down the road, and the next time I come this way, I'll stop and see you again. And she'd stand at the door and wave by and fondly remember what she had enjoyed and anxiously anticipate the next time he would come by. But over the course of time, it got to working on her. And she went to her husband and said, Darling, I'm not happy anymore with what I've got. I'm not satisfied anymore. He comes in on Sunday, but I can't find him on Monday. He's here on Wednesday, but I don't know where to find him on Friday. She said, I'm not looking for a visitation anymore. I'm looking for an abiding presence of God is my salvation in my life. She said, I am no longer content with an experience. I want a relationship. I'm not satisfied with him coming and going. She said, I perceive that this is an holy man of God that passes by. And I'm not satisfied with being part of the Holy Ghost parade, standing on the side while he goes by and throws blessings out my way that I gather up to eat until the next time he comes. She said, I'm not satisfied with that anymore. Honey, we've got to do something to change this situation. And so I, I see this man and his wife discussing this matter. Huh. Sensitive men, as he probably was like all men are, quick to understand the, what their wife is saying. Perceptive, spiritually sensitive. I see this guy look at his wife and, 
She says, I, I, I can't deal with it anymore. I have watched him walk away once too often. I have watched one too many times as we went out the church and had enjoyed fellowship with him. But there was not a place hollowed out in our lives for him to stay. And I hear him say, well, okay, dear. I, I tell you what, it, it might be a little crowded, but I tell you what we can do. We, we could probably slide the stereo cabinet here and looking around his living room, you know. We could slide the stereo cabinet over a little bit and scoot the couch down. It'll be a little crowded, but I'll run out to Walmart there down in Shunem. They built a super center. I'll run down there and buy me one of those inflatable mattresses, you know, that you just hook up to the vacuum cleaner and it blows up. And the next time he comes by, we'll get that little mattress out, you know, and blow it up. It'll be a little crowded, but I think if we scoot the furniture over, and we can hollow out a little notch where we can wedge him in between the other things. See, I think probably, honey, if we would scoot our career over just a little bit and nudge our fun time this way a little and, and push this priority that way and nudge this thing that way, it'd be a little crowded, but I think we could hollow out a little notch where God is my salvation would fit inside the parameters of our life. And I see her lady look at her husband and say, Darling, you don't understand what I'm saying. He is not just another item on my to-do list. He is not just another priority that is part of my life. I'm not going to crowd him in among other things. He's not going to be wedged in the corner. He's too important for that. This is not Uncle Oscar. This is God is my salvation. This is not just another something. This is God is my salvation. I will get him his own place. Okay, dear, all right, I understand. You don't want him in the corner, all right. Tell you what I'll do. I'll run that air mattress back down there to Wally World, trade it in, and I'll buy me one of them 9 by 12 metal sheds. We'll get out here on the back of the property somewhere, stay off of the easement, and I'll set that shed up. And you're right, dear, it would be a little unfair to try to crowd God in among those other things. So we'll get him his own place. We'll define it carefully, nine feet by 12 feet. And it'll be all his. I won't put my lawnmower in there. I won't stack my golf clubs or my fishing pole. It'll be all his. In fact, dear, I maintain that's probably a pretty smart thing to do. Because that way we'll know just where to find him when we want him. But he won't be underfoot. Every time we need a blessing, we'll know right where to run and knock. But it won't interfere with our day-to-day -day life. Honey, it makes a lot of sense. If we had God as our salvation over in the corner, we'd have to watch how we talked. If God as our salvation lived right here in the house with us, we'd have to watch how we dressed. If God is my salvation was here, we'd have to watch what we listened to and what kind of magazines we read. But if we keep Him back yonder, we get all the benefits of having Him around without the discipleship of having Him close. I tell you what we'll do, honey. We will hollow out two hours on Sunday morning from 10 o'clock till noon. And we'll give him a couple hours on Sunday night from 6 o'clock till 8 and Wednesday or whenever it is. We'll give him a little notch. It'll be his shed. I won't put anything else there. I won't work during those hours. I won't play during those hours. It's just his. And every time I need him, I'll know where to go. But he won't affect how I live on Monday because he won't be underfoot. And I see that lady say, honey, you still don't understand what 
what I'm after. He deserves more than just a little compartment. He deserves more than just a cubicle. This is God is my salvation. And I'm not going to relegate him to the back corner of my life. Well, for pity's sake then, honey, what do you want? She said, I want you to build him a chamber on the wall. I'm not making too much of this, but I find it intriguing that she did not say, I want a chamber on the northeast corner of the wall. I want a chamber on the southwest corner of the wall. I want a chamber just up on that one little part of the wall. Say, what are you saying? I'm saying the Bible is very indescript at this point. It does not specify which direction he is. The Bible just says he's on the wall. You know why that's important? The wall goes all the way around my life. What am I saying? I'm saying you need to encompass your life with Jesus Christ. She said, if I look that way, I want to see God as my salvation. If I look that way, I want to see God as my if I'm working, I want to see Jesus. If I'm playing, I want to see Jesus. If I'm with my family, I want to see Jesus. If I'm with my friends, I want to see Jesus. It doesn't matter which way I look, what direction I go, or what I'm involved in. I want my life surrounded by God is my salvation. And the Holy Ghost is beckoning someone in this house tonight to build him a chamber in your life. Something that is his and his alone. But not just over in a corner, but to surround yourself with him. Let God look at his wife and say, honey, honey, have you priced lumber lately? Do you have any idea what you're proposing? Do you know what it's going to cost? Do that. I see that man say, darling, it's going to be so expensive. And she says, I don't know what it's going to cost me. I only know I can't bear to finish up one more revival and watch him walk down the road. I can't bear to close out one more Sunday night and see him walk away. It doesn't cost near as much to build this thing as it costs my spirit to watch him walk down the road. But sweetheart, that's easy for you to say. You're not the one up there pounding his thumb with a hammer and getting splinters under his fingernails. You're not the one up there carrying lumber up the side of the house until my back hurts and I've got blisters on my feet. And she said, yes, I recognize it will cause the flesh some discomfort. Because I promise you, you won't build a chamber and have your flesh like it one bit. Your flesh will rebel. But thank God we don't walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Yes, your belly will not like fasting. No, your eyes will not like waking up early to seek Him in the morning. But somebody's got to get desperate to have Him surrounding your life. Well, I'd go one further than that. Honey... Sweetheart, dearest, doll baby, sugar plum. Look up and down the street, honey. Nobody else has one of those. I mean, just look at our neighbors. Nobody else has gone to that expense. We're going to stand out in the crowd if we do that. And, all, and, and, and sweetheart, it's not just our neighbors. Look at the people we go to the synagogue with. 
Even the other religious people that we associate ourselves with, a lot of them, they don't have chambers. She said, maybe they're happy splitting Doritos and Dr. Pepper on Sunday night, but I want to wake up the next morning and still have him all around. She said, and I'm not measuring, no, listen, I'm not measuring myself by anybody. The Bible says if we compare ourselves among ourselves, we're unwise. The measure of my walk with God is not how much you pray. It's not what you do. I'm trying to live up to what the Holy Ghost is talking to me about. And I got a feeling God is talking to some people in this place tonight about building him a chamber that he can live in. He's waiting on your chamber today. Please understand something this evening, and I'm, a, I'm trying to be gentle. The, the, the word Shunem, the name of that town, you know it means quietly. Please don't mistake noisy passages with a Shunem visitation. Man, anybody can feel Jesus Christ when he comes thundering through here on Sunday night with trumpets blowing and flags flying. Anybody can feel Jesus Christ and feel good about their walk with God on Sunday morning when the Holy Ghost is going... <laughs> question is what happens when you go home to shoot them my question is when there's no choir and there's no pastor and it's just you and your devotion it is in those quiet places he abides and so it is that the holy ghost is beckoning someone tonight to build him a chamber i looked up that hebrew word chamber it literally means lofty place it is something elevated above everything else the holy ghost is not going to be satisfied with a relationship with you that is in the hall closet or a tool shed out back he wants somebody to lift him a little higher up in your life and put him higher put it on the wall surround yourself with him when you look this way see Jesus when you look that way see Jesus when you work when you play when you think when you talk when you dress when you read everything surround yourself with him because in far too many lives in far too many lives even in apostolic Christianity I see a homeless Christ who passes by us continually and we feel so spiritual because he passes by I felt him it was Sunday night and the choir sang and he walked by and he touched me and went, well, so I'm okay. All is well. See, I'm not preaching. I'm preaching to me. I'm just letting you listen. Okay, if it makes you feel any better, Scott Graham is preaching to Scott Graham this evening. I'm going to give myself an altar call and I'm going to pray. And, and I'm just letting you listen in, okay? Scott Graham, listen to me. A little schizophrenic doing that. It is not the measure of your spirituality that you can feel Jesus Christ at a district youth route. I went to youth camp, talk to young people, that's what I do a lot. Went to youth camp, felt him. Wow! Big deal. The devil can feel him. The mountains melt at his presence. The trees shake. The sea flees, flees away at the presence of the Lord. Feeling him is not the measure. The question is when the Doritos are done and when the soda is gone and the last amen is said and the lights are turned out, does he look around at Scott Graham and say, I see there's really no place for me to abide in an ongoing fashion in your life? I know what you're going to be saying. I've got the Holy Ghost in me. I want to present something to you tonight that I believe to be a scriptural truth. There is a vast difference between Jesus being in me and me being in Jesus. Prove that to you? I'll show you that from scripture. Jesus said, if you abide in me. There apparently is the possibility of a condition where the Holy Ghost lives in me, but I don't make my abode in. Oh, he comes by. 
I enjoy Holy Ghost doodads. But I'm not living in Christ. I was baptized into Christ. But there's a difference between being baptized and abiding in Christ. Living inside a place that has placed Him in priority around my life. You know why I want to be there, Pastor? Because, man, good things happen when you live in there. You want, you want to know why sometimes the promises of God seem distant? You're not positioned right to receive them. We talk a lot about the promises of God are yea and amen to him that believeth. Not what the Bible says. The Bible says the promises of God are in him, yea, and in him, amen. You gotta get, oh my, you gotta get in Christ to be able to reach out and get a hold of a promise. That's why Jesus said in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my word abide in you, you ask what you will and I'll do it for you because you've made me a priority. You're not just looking for blessings, you're looking for a relationship. Somebody tonight's got to start driving some nails into some lumber that cost you something to hollow out and build him a place to stay. You want to know why? It's because of what goes on up there. Because I see that guy coming down the extension ladder, dropping his hammer and his tool belt, putting band-aids on them blisters, and saying, honey, it's done. Drove the last nail, put on the last shingle. Everything's taken care of. And she said, good, let's go to the furniture store. Honey, I just got it built. Yeah, I know, now we've got to go furnish it. The Bible tells me what they went down there and put in that place. Bible says, first of all, they put in there a bed and a table. Please understand what I'm saying. It's not talking about a place to sleep. When they talk about a bed, they're talking in, in, in Eastern culture like that. You're talking about a reclining couch kind of thing that a man would lay on as he dined. And a table. They're not talking about a nightstand. We're talking about a table of food like, like thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemy. You know what he was, he was saying first? When we get this place done, when we get this thing built and he moves in, it's going to be a place of nourishment. I'm going to be your friend, but I would hate not. Now, I'm not bragging. Don't anybody applaud because I don't, I don't want to write spirit, so don't clap, okay? Don't clap, don't clap, don't clap. But, but you wouldn't know me two years ago. You wouldn't know, okay? Two years ago, well, yeah, let's see. I'd have to think. Just a little better than two years ago when I started. I weighed 116 pounds more than I weigh right now, okay? I went on this massive weight loss campaign. And, and I know what's going to happen by doing that. I'm going to spend 30 minutes after church talking to people. How'd you do it? Well, I'm going to write a book. You can buy it and support me in my old age. No, I'm not writing a book. I'm kidding. But, but the point of that being, I've become quite well, well attuned to dietary matters and, and, and done a lot of reading and stuff about that. I tell you, I, this, this diet thing, this, this weight loss and thing has not been hard for me. It really hasn't. And, and I know some of y'all say it would be for me. Maybe it wasn't for me. I can explain why later. But no magic pills, not selling nothing. Man, I'm doing all these disclaimers. But I would hate to go on a diet that went like this. Okay. Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, buffet breakfast. Egg, sausage, bacon, hash brown, biscuits, gravy, grits, stewed possum, whatever it is you like in Gainesville. I mean, just apple butter and biscuits and gravy and, and all that greasy cholesterol stuff. Eat with reckless abandon. Fill your belly up. There. You're just Come back Sunday night, fried chicken, prime rib, baked potato, everything, and you can have all you want. This is the Scott Graham weight loss program. You can have all of it you want. Have that salad just swimming and dressing all the butter. You can stand on the potato sour cream till it's coming out your earlobes. Just eat. But you can't have a bite on Monday 
and you can't eat on Tuesday, and you can't eat till 7.30 Wednesday night. At 7.30 Wednesday night, when you come in, there will be a spread of food unlike anything you've ever seen. It's, it's different food this time. It's pizza and corn dogs and french fries and cheeseburgers. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, calzones and, and all that stuff. But, man, it's all you can eat, and it's all free. You ain't going to pay nothing, man. You can just eat, eat, eat. But Thursday morning, you can't eat. And Friday, you can't eat. And Saturday, you can't eat. And I want to know how healthy you think any of you would be on that diet. Then I wonder why it is that we think the spiritual man, and listen to me, I'm going to brag on your pastor. I love this man's preaching. He blows my mind. He is a revelatory preacher. So I know when you come in here on Sundays, you're not getting junk food. Son, the table is spread, and you eat all you want. And God says, feast, 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 feast. But then on Monday, if there's no nourishment, and Tuesday, if there's no nourishment, you wonder by Wednesday afternoon why you're struggling living for God. It's because you haven't dined on anything. Oh, but the Holy Ghost is telling you, if you'll build this place for me, on Monday, I'll give you strength. And on Tuesday, I'll give you nourishment. And on Wednesday, I'll give you something to carry you. Hey, I don't think it's the will of God for us to have to come in here every Sunday morning to get strength for ourselves. We ought to come in here victorious and strong and powerful so that the lost can find a place of salvation, so that the hurting can find a place of healing. But it won't happen unless you've got a chamber. That's a pastor friend of mine a while back, that great, immortal, and frightening question. How's your church? And he said, you know what? He said, for some of my folks are doing great. But he said, I got some that live like this. So Sunday shout, Monday doubt, Tuesday pout, and by Wednesday they're without. I thought, what an indictment on us. What an indictment. That sounds like the Israelites just come to the tabernacle every now and then. But I read where Jesus tore that veil in pieces when he died on Calvary. So I've got access every day. I don't think God intends my week-to-week relationship to peak and valley. God wants me to climb and get stronger in a place of nourishment in his chamber. There's a bed and a table in that place. The next thing she said, we're going to put a stool in there. That word stool, literally, literally in Hebrew, it's a throne. You know what she was saying? This is going to be a place of worship. It's going to be a place where I put God is my salvation in his rightful spot. It's going to be a place of worship. I didn't say a place of praise. Man, look at me. I love to shout and run and rejoice and worship God outlandishly and praise God wild more than most of you, as much as any of you, more than most of you. I love to just buck and jump and go nuts, and I do it a lot easier now than I did two years ago. Yeah, and I figure I'm going to take advantage of that. But, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those times in my relationship when I crawl into the presence of Jesus Christ and I get down before Him and I say, Father, I'm not, even, I'm not asking for anything today. I just want to bow in Your presence and tell You how much I love You. I just want to kneel down here and say, after everything You've done for me, I want to know if there's anything I can do for You. It's those places where you get down on your face in the carpet in your private devotions and say, I want to humble myself before the throne of God. Here's the thing. Listen carefully. The prodigal son prays two prayers in Luke 15 of his father. Twice he approaches his father with a prayer. The first time his prayer is wrapped up in two words. Give me. 
Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. The second time his prayer is wrapped up in two words. Make me. Make me one of the hired servants. If you want to test it, just do a quick thermometer of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Test and see what your prayers sound like mostly. Are they all wrapped up in Sunday night give-me's or are there some Monday morning make-me's when you get in the presence of Jesus Christ and you say you've given so much if you never bless me again I won't be upset if you never heal me again I got no complaints if you never give me another dollar I got no barks because you've been so good already you've given so much already I just want to crawl into the presence of the Lord and say what can I offer you what can I give I worry Worship you. I was sent down a few years ago, Brother Arnold, to Texas. When Brother Kinsey was the youth president. He asked me to go represent the youth division of the Texas conference. I arrived there in Lufkin, and they, they, they ushered me to the platform, and, and they said there's a chair up there with your name on it. So I walked up there, and there was a little card there with her chair there was a chair with a little card on it had my name on it and I just out of curiosity I looked to see who would be sitting next to me and and and, and I, I don't know if these names will mean anything to you but but on this side of me was James Kilgore now your pastor mentioned about Brother Kilgore and suffering the loss of his wife it's a tragic thing what a godly man the, the man's daddy was a pioneer started 9,000 churches I don't know his, his, Brother Kilgore's got stories about I don't mean I don't when I say stories real about crawling up in the attic of his church and spending three days there prayer and com- in prayer and communion with God and talk stories about, about, about visitations of God and, and sleeping in chicken coops out evangelizing and, and, and it's all there. It's all real. Guy's got to walk like he's sitting there. On this side of me is Brother Foss. Brother Foss's daddy, another pioneer. Brother Foss, a man that just, you know, you some people step on your toes when they preach. Brother Foss kicks me in the shins and beat I mean he just when he preaches he rips me open I mean the guy is an elder he's a great church and man of God and here I am sitting between I felt like that thing you remember I don't know if you remember some of you that far back but when I was in kindergarten we used to do these little they give you these papers and they'd have a roll of pictures you had to circle the one that didn't belong you don't have an apple and a banana and an orange and a Buick you didn't exactly have to be a rocket scientist to figure out which one didn't go in there you know I felt like a Buick I'm, I'm sitting up here looking at this. Looking at this. <laughs> Brother Foss preached that night. He ripped me open. I laid there and cried a puddle of tears in that metal chair. They'll never use it again. I rusted it through. I cried and bawled and squalled. And I got done. Brother Foss's knees, you know, kind of bothered him. So he had come back and he sat down next to me. And, and I, I, I got done crying and got where I could see a little bit. And I, I crawled over there by him. I said, Brother Foss. I said, there's something about your generation, and, and I'm not talking about experience. There's no shortcut to experience, but there's something about you men of God, you white-headed elders, and my generation. I don't know. We're lacking something you've got. I said, I want to know what it is you have that we miss. He, I said, can you put your finger on it? He said, it's very easy. I said, I want to hear it. And his was a statement to me. He said, your generation loves the presence of the Lord while my generation loves the presence of the Lord. I didn't understand. And he said, it's all a matter of how you spell it. 
He said, you and your peers and young men like yourself, you love the P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, the good little things that God does for you, the gifts, the blessings. But my generation, he said, there's a bunch of us didn't have anything, but we knew how to walk into the presence of the Lord. And he said, we're satisfied. We don't have to have anything if we've got Him. We don't have to have prestige if we've got Him. We don't have to have cars if we've got Him. And I got back on my face and I said, God, I want to put a throne in my relationship with you where all I want is to get in the presence of the Lord if I'm never given another present I want his presence not just as he comes by on Sunday night and touches me but on Tuesday as I live with him around my life a bed and a table and a stool. And lastly, she said, we're going to put a candlestick. I suspect perhaps it is this candlestick that scares us the most about the relationship with him. Because a candle in Scripture is always significant of the searching of the Lord. You read in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Man, I can bluff you. Most of y'all never saw me before this morning. Somebody spent the last 15 minutes trying to figure out what I looked like at 280 pounds. I can bluff you. I can't bluff them. I can tie my tie with a dimple in a minute, in the dimple in the middle of my tie, carry in my Bible, raise my hands at the right time. You don't know. When I come walking in that chamber, there's no masquerade. The candlestick in there searches out my attitude. The candlestick in there searches out the real me. And it doesn't just let him know. It makes me look at it. See? I'll take you back to kindergarten one more time. A day when I walked into kindergarten, which is many, ages, many years ago, and, and Miss Lee, our kindergarten teacher, dear, sweet, widow lady, Miss Lee, came in and said, we have a special guest today, children. And she introduced this lady that walked in in a white smock and stuff. She was a dental hygienist, and she was going to teach all of us how to brush our teeth. And she's got this six-foot toothbrush. It's like you use it on Shamu or something, you know. And she's got a set of false teeth that do Jimmy Carter proud. They're this wide. And she sets those things up there on the, on the table and <coughs> pries those things open and takes that toothbrush and begins to show us how to brush our teeth, you know, up and down on the sides and, you know, the whole thing. Then she gets done. 
and she hands all of us our very own for our own personal use, sealed in a clear cellophane plastic bag, our own little miniaturized toothbrush and a little tube of Crest toothpaste. And Miss Lee says, now children, we're all going to go down to the bathroom and brush our teeth. And these same group of children whose moms had to beat them that morning to brush their teeth flock down the hall with reckless abandon because we're so excited now about brushing our teeth. It's cool now. We go running down to the bathroom like a troop. You know, we're crowded around the sink like a pack of piranhas around a cow in the Amazon. And we're just... And I mean, you brush teeth, man. I mean, we scrub the enamel off our teeth. Foaming in the mouth like a bunch of rabid dogs, you know. just Everybody, that is, except Greg Linder. Hope Greg is not here tonight. Hope none of y'all are sister or brother to Greg. You never know. It's tough to go up with a name like Greg. It's like something in the bottom of a coffee cup, you know. Greg was not, was not interested in brushing his teeth. Of course, this was his fourth time through kindergarten, so it was kind of old for him, you know. Yeah, one of the few guys that could drive himself there, you know. Get in trouble for not shaving, that kind of stuff. He, um, Greg is far too cool to brush his teeth. Greg is just standing off this. This has a point. Greg is just standing off the side of this toothbrush. We get all done. Aren't you going to brush yours? He just strolls over there to the sink, turns the water on, takes his toothbrush, dips under the water, just in case Miss Lee feels it. You know, it'll be wet. Oh, he's got all the tricks down, Pat. He learned that his third year there. And we go strolling back down to class. Miss Lee lines us up, and she says, okay, did everybody brush their teeth? You got 20 little kids all smell like wet puppies going. She said, good. Then this dental hygienist comes out with this bag of these little red pills. You remember those? You put one of those things in your mouth and chew it and it kind of foams up a little bit. It tastes real good, foams up, but, but it's chemically designed to stick to every place on your teeth that you miss. So if back between these two teeth you didn't get it real clean, it'll leave a little red line. If you didn't get this front one, it'll leave a little red spot. We get done and chewing those things up, you know, and asking for seconds. And Miss Lee says, okay. And she explains what it's going to do. Dreg is not feeling too well. She says, everybody smile. Got 20-some kids on ever going, and here's Dreg Leonard down the end going. No, no, Dreg, smile bigger. Dreg, Smile and open your mouth. <laughs> Dreg, show us your teeth. It looked like somebody hit him in the mouth with a ball bat. His teeth were red from Dan to Beersheba across it. Just the whole thing, just this mass of red testimony, you know. Miss Lee made a startling observation. Dred, you didn't brush your teeth, did you? Oh, Miss Lee, now, I went down there with everybody else. But you didn't brush your teeth, did you? Carried my toothbrush, my little tube of toothpaste, faithfully down there where I was supposed to be. But you didn't brush your teeth, did you? I felt what everybody else felt. 
But you didn't deal with your own uncleanness. And when I get in the chamber and my father lays bare my attitude and the candlestick reveals me not for what I want people to think I am but what he knows I am. Then his voice says to me, why didn't you clean up your spirit in the altar Sunday night? I say, but daddy, I went down there with everybody else. I know, but I spoke to you about something in your life. But daddy, I felt what they felt. And he says, that's not the question. My candle has revealed in this chamber something in your life that needs adjustment. The chamber reveals every hidden So if you want to live a life of self-deception where you convince yourself that you need no improvement in the kingdom, then don't build him a chamber. If you want to just go through motions on Sunday night and convince me of your spirituality, do not build him a chamber. If you want to just bluff those you go to church with and postpone the revelation of what you are until one day when you stand before his throne, do not build him a chamber. But judgment will begin in the house of God if you allow it to. And the Lord, I would rather have him reveal to me what I am now. So I ask you tonight, where is Christ living in your life? I think the Holy Ghost is beckoning some people to build him a chamber. See, I had a grandpa that preached for 65 years this gospel. For 65 years he preached this message. Old coal mining preacher who would shovel coal into carts and haul them out of, the, out of the mines with a mule team for 14 hours and then go preach. When he was retired, I remember he had a habit that was most annoying to me. Because my grandfather would be sitting in his chair and you'd walk in his house and you'd say, Grandpa, man, it's hot outside. And he'd say, it certainly is. Hallelujah. Caught in traffic somewhere. That's a bad example. You can caught in traffic in Grayville. But if we were visiting St. Louis, boy, that traffic's terrible. It absolutely is. Praise God. I have seen him do it, Brother Arnold, sound asleep. He would be kicked back in that leather easy chair of his, snoring as only that fine German man could do it. I mean, letting it rip. And then, and then he'd hit, pardon this, but he'd hit one of those snorts that wake you up. You know, he'd just be... Hallelujah. See, I was 12, I knew everything. I was 12 years old, I knew everything. I've forgotten a lot of it since then, but I knew it all then. And I wanted to give my grandfather a Bible study. I wanted to explain to him the Bible talks about not using vain repetitions. I'm glad I didn't for a couple of reasons. Number one, I'd have been wrong. Number two, he had a razor strap on the back of his bathroom door and he would have explained a few things from Scripture to me. But you know what I understand now, Brother Arnold? Is all the while I was feeling so spiritual because I knew how to shout around the altar at youth camp. He was living in the chamber with his father. It didn't matter if you're talking about weather, he could see Jesus. 
didn't matter if you're talking about traffic. God was in that. It didn't matter if he was sound asleep when he woke up. He was still in that chamber with his father. And I was excited about spiritual Doritos on Sunday night. And he was feasting on manna every day. I don't have mine finished yet, but I'm trying to drive some nails. I don't have mine done yet, but I'm trying to build some walls. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I'm so glad he's with me here tonight. This has been a fun trip for my boy to be with me. I'm going to tell you why I'm building it now. Because the day came when the boy that she had fell over dead. Where did she take him? She carried him up into the chamber that she had constructed and said, until I can get a miracle for my boy, I'm going to leave him inside the dedication that I crafted. My question to you is, what if she never built it? Where was she going to put him? Where are you going to go with your teenage boy when he's 16 and he comes and tells you he doesn't want to go to church anymore? What are you going to do with your 15-year-old daughter when she comes and tells you she's sexually active? being blunt. Our world's blunt. I pray to God you don't go through any of those things. But if at some point your child that you raised in this thing says, my head, my head. If you've never built it, it's too late then to start construction. Come running to your pastor's doorstep and say, can I lay my baby inside your devotion? Put him in a place you built. I never drove a nail. I never built a wall. Carrying the corpse of what she loved, looking desperately for a place to lay it. But because she had taken the time, because she had spared no expense, she was able to lay that boy up there and walk off and run into God. And when God said, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the lad? She was able to say, it's well! How can you say it's well? Your son's head's messed up. I know where I left him. And I laid him inside a devotion that I built a long time ago. I laid that boy down inside a place that I crafted at great expense and great discomfort. I laid him down inside a place that I've crawled into many a Monday morning and let the Holy Ghost reveal the inner workings of my spirit. I laid him down inside a relationship that had a throne in it. I laid him down inside a place I've been nourished time and time and time again. Stand with me. He opened the doors and hides me, he says. I wonder if maybe you'd like to start tonight building a chamber. Oh, I'm just a teenager, Lord. I, man, I'm busy with friends and cars and running around. When I graduate, when I get out of school, congratulations, it's good to see you. You looked awful sharp in that cap and gown. I wonder if now maybe you're ready to start construction. Oh, I got college. I've got a job. I got to get a career developed. 
When I get married, then I will. Thanks for inviting me to the wedding. You look so handsome. Darling, you look so beautiful. I'm glad you could wear white. You're back from your honeymoon. I wonder maybe if now the two of you would like to go together and build me a chamber. Oh, we're newlyweds. We're footloose and fancy and free. We don't have any money, but we're happy. And when children come, when the kids come, when we have a baby, then we'll do it. Congratulations. Happy for you. That little boy looks just like you. That little girl I blessed you with. Now it's getting desperate. you got to build a chamber. Oh, Lord, we're so busy with diapers and paying bills. and We're just we're swamped, Lord. I, when the kids are grown, when they're gone, then, then it's me again. Empty nest and all. I know the kids are away, and it's back to the two of you. Maybe now is the time. Oh, Lord, we're finally able to travel. Finally, we're able to do some things for ourselves. We got some money now. The kids are gone. We will, but just wait till we retire. It's me again. I'm sure sorry to see you laying in that hospital bed. And if I choose to, I can pick you up out of it. But that's not the question today. The question is, did you ever in any of the stages of life Thank you. 